Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for making local church part of, uh, part of your Sunday. Uh, we need to talk about something real quick, though. When you came in, you got, you got a rock. So real quick, this is not for throwing at me. This is not for parents keeping your kids in check next to you, uh, but you are going to need a rock. So if you were able to like sneak in past our guest services team without getting a rock, uh, we have brought the rocks to you. Now, I am not going to make my volunteers walk around with a basket full of rocks handing them out. So you're not going to miss anything. Just hop up out of your seat. You're not going to bother anybody. They are right there in the back. Our team's back there. You don't have to go outside the auditorium. Uh, they're in a basket. So go ahead and grab your rock. You are going to need this because you're going to feel way out of place if you don't grab a rock a little bit later. And side note, the first like four minutes of my sermons are usually just to get you engaged anyway. So go get you a rock. You're not going to miss anything. Um, so make sure you have a rock and I will tell you what to do with that here in just a little bit. Um, with that being said, I brought a, what I would consider a classic children's story with me. This might be familiar for many of you. It even has my oldest son's name in it. We love this book. We have read this book to our kids. Anybody familiar with even the, the cover? All right, let's see where this goes. Let's see how well you know this story. We are going to preach out of the Bible. We are that kind of a church. We are a Bible teaching, preaching church, but we're going to get there. So stay with me. If you give a mouse a cookie, you love this story. Yes, people are like, oh, that's why I came to church. No. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. And when you give him the milk, he will probably ask you for a straw. And when he's finished, he'll ask for a napkin. Then he'll want to look in a mirror to make sure he doesn't have a milk mustache. And then if you keep reading, if you know the story, you keep reading and page after page after page is this greedy little mouse that just wants more and more. And, and every time this little boy gives him something, the, the mouse receives it and is thankful and is grateful, but then it leads to something else. And so the rest of the pages are this boy, is this boy trying to keep up with this mouse that just wanted more and more. And then we get towards the end and this mouse, he is so thirsty. We're told he's thirsty. So he'll ask for a glass of milk. And chances are, if he asks for a glass of milk, he's going to want a, do you know the end of it? A cookie to go with it. Thus, the end of the story goes all the way back to where it started. This mouse that wanted a cookie, and that cookie led to something else and something else. As I say, it's, it's a classic children's story. It's a classic in our home as well. But I would say it's not just a kid's story. This is our story. It is our story of we have been given so much. We have been given things by our heavenly father, and we are grateful, and we are thankful, and we receive those things and then we want more. And we say, thank you so much for the blessings. Thank you so much for providing. Thank you so much for giving. But can I have a little more? And it becomes our story of wanting more and more and more and more. And it never is enough. Not just a kid's story. It is our story as well. We're in a Bible teaching series where we're looking at these internal battles, these, these struggles that wage war. Paul actually uses that language of it's waging war within me. And so one of those struggles, one of those internal battles, one of those wars that is waging in us is just that, this need for more. 
And that's what we're going to look at in uh, actually 1 Timothy. This will kind of set up. This is the, the Bible version if, if you give a mouse a cookie. So this is where we're going to land and then we'll dive into our story this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, we're told, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Say the word contentment with me because that's going to like make sure it's in your brain this morning. Contentment. Contentment. Yes, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be, there's that word again, let us be content. That's that internal battle and struggle of being content. This is what God has given me. This is what I have. But the battle is, I don't feel like it's ever enough. There's two battles that wage war against our contentment, two enemies of contentment. We often don't use them in the same sentence, but Jesus does. So that's why we're going to talk about both of these. One of them is just that, this pursuit of more. Greed is the right word there, but greed feels so harsh. Like nobody says like, yeah, I struggle with greed. It's no, 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 I'm not greedy. I just want more. That's the same thing. So we're going to use the word greed and more interchangeably this morning. The desire for more, the pursuit for more. I need more. That is greed, and it is an enemy of contentment. But it's interesting, the need for more is also related and is kind of uh, intertwined with the idea of worry, the things that I'm worried about. And notice how they feed off of each other. So I'm worried that I'm not gonna have enough, so I pursue more and I need more. And even when I then get more, I recognize it's not enough because I need to hold on to it because if I let go of it, then I'm gonna be worried that I don't have enough. So you notice that your worry feeds your more and the more you need feeds your worry. And you hold on to both of these and they're both enemies of contentment. That is our struggle. I need more, I want more, I'm pursuing more because I'm worried that I don't have enough. And we live in this tension, we live in this inner battle that wages war on our contentment. So Jesus talks about both of these. He's gonna talk about the more, the pursuit of more and greed. And he's also gonna talk about worries and he's gonna do so in the same teaching. So that's why I mentioned we're gonna talk about both of these. Let me show you what Jesus is gonna get at. Two statements, well, one statement, one rhetorical question that Jesus is gonna make in his teaching to kind of set up where we're gonna go. Here's the first one. Jesus says, life is not measured by how much you own. He's speaking to the pursuit of more. He's speaking to our greed, that tension of always wanting to get more and enough is never enough. So Jesus said, no, you're missing the whole point. That's not even, that's not even how you measure life by the more that you have or the more that you obtain. So Jesus says that. Then he later on, in just a few verses later, asked this rhetorical question. He asked, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? In other words, does worrying help? Does worrying change anything? Does worrying do anything for your life? Even though it's a rhetorical question, we know the answer to that. Does worrying change anything? No, no. So Jesus recognized there's this battle for contentment in our lives and we battle with it with worry and the pursuit of more. And as we pursue more, it causes us to worry. And the more we worry, the more we pursue more and it never ends. So here's what Jesus does. I want you to pay attention to this. When when Jesus is gonna talk about greed and, and worry, he's of course gonna say like, don't do that, but he doesn't leave it there. Because that's not very helpful. Like, how do you just not worry? How do we just stop 
wanting and having the desire to pursue more. So what Jesus does, of course, is brilliant. He actually redirects us to move in a different direction. So what I want you to pay attention to through Jesus' teaching is he is going to move us away from greed, move us away from worry, and towards intimacy with God towards a rich and meaningful and deep relationship with God. And the more we take steps in our relationship with God, the more intimate our relationship with God becomes, the more we grow in our relationship with God, the further we get away from greed and worry. So it's a great way that this works. We take one step towards our intimacy with God and the byproduct is we worry less. And we have less of the desire for more and more and more. And the more we lean into the intimacy with our relationship with God, the further we get from worry, the further we get from this pursuit of more. So notice that, not just is Jesus gonna talk about greed and worry, notice where he's moving us, notice where he's pushing us, notice where he's leading us, and that leading is towards a more intimate and rich and meaningful and deep relationship with God. So we're going to spend the rest of our time in Luke chapter 12. That's where Jesus has this teaching. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, make sure you have it. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the lobby. We don't just hand out rocks. We hand out Bibles too. Uh, So make sure you've got a Bible. If you don't have one, you can grab one a little later. Uh, That is our gift to you. Luke chapter 12, this all begins because one person came to Jesus and wanted Jesus to do something. So we're going to kind of set up the scene and then you're going to see Jesus deal with this internal struggle we have of contentment that is ultimately solved by having a relationship, a rich relationship with God. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, talking to Jesus, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. In other words, it's not fair. I'm not getting what I deserve. It's not enough. What I want is not, I'm not getting enough. I want more. It's crazy, like nothing has changed in thousands of years. What was still a problem in Jesus's day, still a problem in our day as well. We want more. Here's Jesus's reply, verse 14. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Now the original language here, that's a great translation for us in English. I wanna make one more translation so you kind of hear more of the sentiment of what Jesus is saying and how he's replying. If we were to translate what Jesus said into Georgia talk, Jesus would have said something like, friend, bless your heart. That's not why I'm here. (laughs) That's what he's getting at. He's like, I love that you're coming to me, but you have totally missed why I have come to earth. It is not to help you divvy up an inheritance because you want more wealth and more of what you think you deserve. It's like, no, bless your heart. That's not why I came. You have totally missed it. So now everything that Jesus is gonna point to is going to be from that. You've totally missed what it means to have a rich and satisfying and full life. Verse 15, he goes on. Here's where he begins to lean into this teachable moment. Verse 15, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed Life is not measured by how much you own. Let's talk about what he's saying here. First notice, beware. He's like, watch out. And the reason he needed to say beware is because so often we minimize or don't even recognize the dangers of greed. Like we just kind of throw that one off. It's just like, well, it's just kind of like how we live, we're human. But Jesus is clear, no, beware. This is dangerous. This is something you need to watch out for. He, he warning. You don't, under, you don't want to underestimate the dangers and the destruction of your pursuit of more. Watch out. 
If we knew the dangers of greed, if this man knew the dangers and destruction that greed would lead to, Jesus would have no reason to say, beware. We need to be told to watch out. We need to be told to beware of something if we are oblivious to it. So he says, beware. Your pursuit of more is more dangerous than you ever could imagine. And then he says, guard against. He doesn't say avoid. I don't think we can avoid our tendency and our desires for more. So he doesn't say avoid it, avoid the temptation. He's saying guard against it. Guard against it. You need to be able to stand firm against it. You need to be aware of it and be able to guard your heart and guard your mind against this relentless and foolish pursuit of more. And then he says guard against what? Every kind of greed. Now the situation is pointing more towards financial greed. This brother wanted more from the inheritance than that was originally given to him. But Jesus then broadens it way out. He said, I'm not just saying beware and guard your hearts against financial greed or the desire for more money. He says of any kind of greed, greed is the the desire to want more and more and more. And that covers a lot of things for us. The greed and the desire of more power, of course, more wealth, more attention, more time. How many of us have said, oh, I wish I could just have more time. I just need a few more hours in the day. I need an extra day in the week. We want more and more, more attention, more time, more status, more position, more fame. We're always looking for more and Jesus broadens it. We're not just talking about money and wealth and finances. We are talking about any pursuit of more. Now, Jesus wants to lean in even more, and you're going to notice that he keeps leaning further and further in. He wants to explain what he just said. In fact, this was what we pointed to earlier when Jesus said, life is not measured by how much you own, by how much you have. It's not defined by your pursuit of more. He wants to lean in and explain that concept further. So he tells a story called a parable. A parable is a fictional story that proves a point. So then Jesus gives a parable all around that idea that life is so much more than just your pursuit of more. And here's the parable in verse 16. Then he, Jesus, told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? Man, that is such a good question. Circle it, underline it, highlight it, write it down. We're gonna come back to that. We're gonna talk about it. But this man says, what should I do? Here's all that I've been given. Here's how I've been blessed. What should I do? He goes on and this man, this farmer says, I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for many years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Now Jesus sums it up. Here's the point. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but, notice where he's pointing us, but not have a a rich relationship with God. See, this parable has nothing to do with generosity. It's not a tithing parable. It's not about giving. It's not about offerings. It's about our heart. And our heart has this tension, this battle, where we are constantly wanting more and wanting to pursue more. And Jesus says, 
The way to walk away from the pursuit of more, the way to to step away from greed is to step into a rich relationship with God, a more intimate relationship with God, a more deep and meaningful relationship with God. Let's go back to that question. What should I do? With all that God's given us, what should we do? With what God has blessed me with, what he's blessed you with, what should I do? As the parable goes, this man answers that question, but he answered it foolishly. He chose poorly. He said, I want to continue to pursue more. Not just pursue more, I want to hold on to the more that I have gained. And I don't want to let it, to go, let it go. In fact, I'm going to get rid of some things so I can build bigger things to continue to hold on to my more. And Jesus said, man, that's foolish. That's foolish. The wise thing would have been to have a, again, a rich relationship with God. Move away from the greed and the pursuit of more and take a step into the intimacy that God desires with us. Understand this man was not foolish because he had wealth. That is not what made him foolish. This man was not foolish because he worked hard. It seems like God blessed him, but he also would have had to have worked hard to make this happen. That doesn't make him foolish that he worked hard. Even saving, that's not what made him foolish. In fact, that's what I teach my kids. There's three things we do with our money, kids. We spend it, we save it, we give it. So that doesn't make, that doesn't make this man foolish for even saving. What made him foolish was his pursuit of more over his pursuit of God. He pursued his own stuff more than he was pursuing a rich and intimate, meaningful relationship with God. That's what made him foolish. Jesus is making it very clear. The pursuit of more is foolish. Life is not measured by how much you have. Life is not measured by the more you're striving for. That pursuit, the pursuit of more is foolish. Let's go back and talk cookies for a second. Here's what more begins to look like. God has given us so much. More says, that's great, but... I want more. So you put your hand in the cookie jar to get more and you don't want to let go of the more and you find yourself with your hands stuck in the cookie jar, right? Now there's a couple things that we can kind of laugh at, but a couple observations we need to make in our pursuit of more. The first one is in our pursuit of more, we look absolutely foolish walking around holding on to more. Like this is what that looks like. Right? I know it's cheesy, but I want this in your brain. Every time you start to hear yourself say, no, I'm just trying to hold on to the more, this is what we all see. You go up and say hi to somebody. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. And you're like, you're weird. I'm going to go the other direction. <laughs> like this is not normal, but this is what it looks like to refuse to let go. This is what it looks like to always be holding on to more. We walk around with our hands stuck in the cookie jar. The other part of this, and this is maybe even more important to talk through, is not that we look foolish, but when we're holding on to more, we are stuck. You are trapped in this continual, vicious cycle of more. You cannot get out while holding on to more. I want more and it's never enough. I need to hold on to my more because I'm going to worry about not having enough if I let go of my more. And all of a sudden, greed doesn't just make us look foolish. Greed actually traps us and puts us in a place where without a relationship, where we're not moving towards a relationship with God, we find ourselves stuck and absolutely trapped. So here's what happens next. Jesus is going to lean in even more. 
He's going to turn to his disciples, and now he's going to kind of make the connection with worry. Notice this in verse 22. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. He connects it. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. So here, Jesus is making a couple progressions. He starts by saying life is so much more than greed. It's more than what you own. It's more than what you had. That's not how you measure life. It is so much more than the more you're trying to pursue. It is actually the pursuit of God and a real, meaningful, intimate, trusting relationship with your Lord. So because life is not just what you own, but rather it is a life focused on your relationship with God who loves you, the result, don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. You do not need to worry because you have a God who loves you and you have a relationship with, and we've already defined that life is so much more than just what we own. That's what Jesus is building up and it continues to push us towards an intimate relationship with him. But like I said earlier, just saying don't worry is not very helpful. So Jesus gives us some very good examples. He gives us specifics. Verse 24, Jesus says, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Ah, there's the question we we looked at earlier. And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. Don't worry. Let's go back to that rhetorical question. Can all of your worries... Can, worry, can worrying actually change something? Can it help something? Can it add a single moment to your life? That's the rhetorical question he asked. Can your worries add a single moment to your life? We said it already, but what's the answer? No, of course not. That should lead us to ask another personal question though. Why do we worry? If we just answer no, it doesn't help. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't fix anything. If we just all agreed on that, why worry? Why do I still worry? Now, maybe this is just me. Maybe you have your own different reasons. For me, it falls into two categories of why I still worry, even though I know it's not gonna do any good. Care and control. Care and control. I worry about the things I care about. I worry about the people I care about. If I care about it or that person, then I tend to worry. So I I deeply care for my family. I care about my kids. I care about my wife. I care about my friends. So of course, I'm gonna worry about them. Worry about my kids all the time. I worry about the things and the people I care about. You know what I don't worry about? The things that I don't care about. I am not worried. I mean, hear me. I am not worried at all about how the Phillies will do the rest of their postseason. Do you know why I'm not worried about it? Because I don't care. If you don't care, you are not going to worry. But here's the thing. Like, of course we need to care about people. We care about our friends and our family. There's a lot of great things that we should care about. For me, what I care about leads me to what I worry about and also control. I worry about the things that are outside of my control. 
I worry about the things that I cannot con- contain, I cannot control, I cannot manipulate, I cannot make sure it all works the way that I want it to work. And so I worry about those two things in those two buckets. The things and the people I care about, I worry about. The things that are outside of my control, I worry about. And what's interesting is I read through what we just, what we just read from Jesus. Jesus seems to be pointing to those two words as well. Well, Brian, I hear that you care, but I also care. In fact, I care so much more about you than anything else. He's speaking to the care. He's also speaking to the control. Like, Brian, you know who's actually feeding the birds, right? It's me. I'm the one in charge. And if I'll do that for these birds, if I do this for the lilies, if I do this for creation, I'm of course going to do this for you, Brian, because you're so much more valuable to me. I care so much more about you. I worry about the things I care about and the things that I lack control of. And it feels like Jesus is saying, you're missing it. God cares and he is in control. God cares more deeply than you could imagine for you and for the things that you care about. And he is the one that is absolutely in control. Anytime there's something specific in scripture, we should probably take notice of it. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't just say the birds and the flowers. Notice he says, notice what kind of birds? Did you catch it? Ravens, ravens. So that's always a good little, just a like nice little Bible study tip is if you see something specific in scripture, that should perk up your ears and be like, huh, I wonder why Jesus, the author, the writer was being specific in that example. So let's ask that. Why ravens? I'm so glad you asked. I want to share that with you. So we are going to go to a part of your Bible that might be unused for you. You ready? We are going to go to Leviticus. Do you know, have you heard of Leviticus? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It all matters. So go to Leviticus all the way in the Old Testament. Most people, when they're doing like a Bible reading plan, you skip Leviticus. Don't skip Leviticus. It's helpful. So you read through Leviticus and eventually if you make it this far, you get to Leviticus chapter 11. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 13, here's what we're told. These are the birds that are detestable to you. And then if you look at verse 15, guess who's listed? Ravens of all kinds. So in God's word, and there's a whole other story behind Leviticus and what the purpose is, we won't go there today. But Jesus was using an example of a bird. Like he could have said an eagle, Everybody wants to be an eagle. Nobody wants to be a detestable raven. And here's why I think, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna make an assumption here. I think this is why Jesus decided to use ravens. Because some of you this morning are hearing this about how much God loves us and how much he cares about us and that he will take care of us. And you're in the back of your mind, you're thinking, not me. Because of what I've done. Because of my past because of my choices. Maybe you're thinking, because of my choices, I am detestable. I am unlovable. I am unworthy. God would take care of anyone and anything else, but not me. And I think Jesus uses the ravens to say he loves you no matter how detestable you think you are, no matter how unlovable you feel like you are, no matter how unworthy you deem yourself, Jesus is saying, yes, even you, the ravens. God loves you. God takes care of you. 
So if that's you, he loves you. He takes care of you. There's nothing that you could have done that, that, that disqualifies you from being pulled into his arms. Now get ready, because when he pulls you in, he begins a work in us, and he changes us from the inside out. We've been saying this whole series, he meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. So get ready for him to do a work in your heart. Get ready for him to change your life. But he loves you, and he will take care of you. Again, this whole time, when talking about the greed and the pursuit of more, all the way up to now, where Jesus is talking about the worries of our lives, every single time, again, he continues. Jesus keeps pointing us towards the intimacy of God. Walk away from the greed and towards an intimate relationship with God. Walk away from your worries. You do not need to worry because you have a loving father who will take care of you. He keeps pushing us and pointing us into the direction of a relationship with God. So here's another way to say it that might be a little bit more helpful uh, just in terms of how this sinks into your mind and into your heart. Let me say this and we're going to kind of talk through it. Move from what if to who is. For us, move from what if to who is. And it feels like Jesus obviously isn't using that language, but it feels like that's what he's doing. Every time there's a what if, well, what if we don't have enough? Well, who's the one feeding the birds? Well, what if we don't have, well, who is the one taking care of? Like, it feels like Jesus is actually showing us how to do this. Our worries typically come from the what if. Our pursuit of more typically come from a what if. What if I don't have enough? What if we lose it all? What if this happens? What if this doesn't work out? What if, and we have all these what if scenarios that lead us down the spiral of worry, worry, and the pursuit of more, and more worry in the pursuit of more. So instead of just being stuck in the what ifs, let that trigger you to start thinking of not the what if, but the who is. For every what if, who's in control? Who is full of love? Who is full of kindness? Who is full of compassion? Who gives grace that never ends? Who is faithful? Who is able? Who cares for you? God. For every what if you wrestle with, allow that to trigger in your heart and your mind. No, 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 no. Who is with me? God is. Who cares about me? God does. Who is capable and strong and powerful enough? God is. Who is with me to walk through this with me? God is. Move from the what if to the who is. Paul uses kind of this same idea in one of his letters. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Paul says, don't worry about anything. So walk away from worry. But notice he's pointing to the intimate relationship with God as well. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That prayer, we even talked about this on Wednesday night. This prayer life is what moves us into a deeper relationship with God. So instead of worrying about it, we dive in and we move towards a more intimate relationship with God. That's what Paul's telling us to do. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything, anything that we can understand. Notice this last part. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That guard should, should cause us to think back to what Jesus said early on. Earlier on. Beware, guard against all kinds and every kind of greed. So how do we guard our hearts and guard our minds? By having an intimate relationship with, with God. By growing in our relationship with God. Instead of the worries and the pursuing of more, we grow into our relationship with him, into a deeper, more meaningful relationship. And we receive a peace that passes all understanding. 
and that peace guards our hearts and guards our mind. It's not getting what we want. It's not having control that gives us peace. It is a peace that comes from our relationship with God. Jesus begins to sum everything up. He ties it all together in verse 30 through 34. Jesus says, these are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world about all of our worries and the pursuit of more. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. I love this next part. I love this. Jesus said, so don't be afraid, little flock. Don't you just hear the compassion of Jesus there? So don't be afraid, little flock. Your shepherd's got you. I care about you. I love you. I know you. I'm with you. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. In other words, in our pursuit of more, and us trying to gain control and continue to worry, Jesus says the most important thing is to seek God. Pursue God. Pursue your relationship with God more than your pursuit of more. Pursue your relationship with God more than you spend time worrying about the things of this world. Jesus makes a point to talk about what we think about because we cannot think about two things at the exact same time. We are not that talented. We cannot do that. So the more we think about the things of the world, the less we think about the things of God. The more we think about the things of God, the less we begin to think about the things of this world. Again, to walk away from greed, to walk away from worry requires us to take steps towards a more intimate and deep and meaningful relationship with God. The more we move into our relationship with him, the more we trust him. The more we trust him, the less we worry, and the less we pursue more. Here's how I kind of want us to end. I'm gonna put this up on the screen, and I hope this maybe it would be good for, for all of us to, to wrestle with. This might be good. Take a picture, write it down, pray through this, wrestle through this this week. The greed and the worries of your life often reveal where you trust God the least. This is, not made, this is not intended, my goal is not to like make you feel really guilty for all of the greed and worries in your life. It's to be honest and be like, no, here's the areas that I'm trying to pursue more and more and more and I'm worried that it's not enough or I'm worried that I'm gonna lose it because then I won't have enough. Like if we can recognize those and actually see it for what it is, allow the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart to see the realities of your heart, then guess what? We, start get, we get a great glimpse of, oh, those are the areas I need to trust God more in. Helpful. So often we don't know what it looks like to keep trusting him more. It's like, well, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm saved. Now what? Can you begin to identify the parts of your life where you are still pursuing more and you're still worried? And that will give you a great picture into where you trust God the least, which means now I know where I need to lean in and I need to trust God more in. Jesus actually does this. He says in verse 33, sell your possessions, sell your possessions, give to those in need. Is he saying, no, like every single person, that's what you must do? I mean, maybe, like generosity is a big piece of, of the Christian life according to Jesus. But I almost think he's pointing back to where this whole thing started. With this guy in the crowd that said, Jesus, I'm not getting what I deserve. I don't have enough. Tell my brother to divide the estate with me. And I think Jesus is almost circling back saying, 
you're focused on the wrong thing. If that's where you're not trusting me, instead of asking for more, sell it all. Instead of trying to do more or gain more, sell it all and let me prove to you my faithfulness. The more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we will trust him. Notice Jesus did not say, do not worry because you have no problems and nothing to worry about. Jesus said, do not worry because you have me. And if you have me, you can trust me. And because you can trust me, you can depend on me. And because you can depend on me, you don't need to worry. And you don't need to continue to live this exhaustive life of pursuing more. Because life's not measured by that anyway. Grow in your relationship with him and you will see, you will begin to walk away from the worries and the more that we spend so much of our days fighting over and consumed by. First Peter chapter five, verse six. So what do we do with this? Here's what we do. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, his time, he will lift you up in honor. Look at this. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. He cares about you. There's a lot of burdens we were not intended to carry around. The pursuit of more is one of those burdens we were not intended to carry. Worries is one of those burdens we were not intended to carry. You've been carrying around a burden you were not intended to carry. Now, granted, I gave it to you when you walked into church today. But if you're like me, you didn't need any help walking in today with a pocket full of rocks. We all have our burdens. We all have our worries. We all have the more that we're trying to get and the more we're trying to hold on to. This is just symbolizing what we already walked in with. If you're here on Wednesday night, we explain that the word altar in scripture literally means God's table. So on Wednesday night, we said the front of the stage is not a stage, it is God's table. And it's at God's table that he invites us to take a seat and to bring him our lives. So what do we do with the worries and the more that we're pursuing? We're gonna take up an offering today. Not a money offering. Some of you just got real nervous. No, uh, your finances are between you and the Lord. And as you trust him more, if that's a way that you wanna give, great. But that's between you and him, not me, you and him. We are gonna take up an offering that says, I wasn't intended to carry this God. So I'm gonna come to your table and I'm gonna sit it there. Not only am I gonna sit it there, I'm gonna leave it there. It doesn't work to come up here and you sit it down and then you take it back with you. It doesn't work that way. During this next song, this entire song is about surrendering to giving him our everything. That includes our worries, our burdens, and the pursuit of more. So I'm gonna pray for us. And then I'm gonna ask you to do something a little uncomfortable to move out of your seats, to come up to the front, to lay that rock down that symbolizes your worries and your cares. And you can do that as a family. You can do that as friends. Be patient. There's a lot of you. It's gonna take some time, but let this symbolize what you are bringing to the altar, saying, God, I shouldn't be carrying this. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna offer you my cares because you care for me. 
God, thank you so much for loving us more than anything else. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for continuing to provide for us in so many ways. In this moment, I pray that we would have the courage, Holy Spirit, to, to come to your table and to offer you our everything, our lives, our hearts, and even our worries and our burdens. May we lay them at your altar. May we lay them at your table because you care for us. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for caring for us that much. In Jesus' name, amen.